That's Mpiwe Dana and Zima. And now on the line, we have Ricky Khorsi Tsao. Um, um, she is a professional, well, her professional training is in international relations with a speciality in international human rights law and diplomacy from Monash University. Uh, she also has years of experience working in the NGO sector, particularly with sexual and gender minorities, with an affinity for evidence generation to inform impactful advocacy. Now, tonight, t- today we're going to be talking uh, about, you know, Miss Spain um, entering Miss Universe. Uh, she didn't make it up to the, the after the last, t- or the top 20, but she was the pageant's first ever transgender contestant. According to her, though, she said, I don't need to win Miss Universe. I only need to be here. So we asked you the question, what is your view when it comes to tra- individuals, uh, trans individuals? Uh, do you think uh, that they should be included in mainstream beauty? beauty pageants do you think it's about time that um you know somebody be celebrated like this should it be part of the course should we not actually be clapping our hands and standing innovation right now it should actually some be something that is normal what is your view give us a call 0891-104-207. That's 0891-104-207. You can also SMS us. 40938. 40938. SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. But why not send us a WhatsApp voice note? 0614-104-107. 0614-104-107. Ricky, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat to us this afternoon. Um, let, let's talk about Angela Ponce and, and her participation. What is your take um, on her being, um, first of all, being her inclusion, uh, you know, it, it has been. I mean, the the I think the the rules changed officially in 2012, so it's been six years, and this is the first time that somebody's made it to the final stage of the competition. So, so first of all, what is your view on that? And you know, what is our view, your view on the com- uh, on on the question that we asked our listeners? Um, thank you so much, Lizard, firstly for having me on on this conversation. Um, firstly, I think let's also just. Firstly, congratulate Tamron Green for representing South Africa very well. Definitely. Um, and I think Angela as well, now speaking to that um, from the perspective of inclusion and di- celebration of diversity mm-hmm. of women, I think she's done incredible in just raising the understanding and awareness and appreciation of, of the beauty that the diversity of women out there come in, her being trans. I think that speaks volumes to where we are even as a society. But I think at the same time, we also should not be forgetful of the fact that for the rules to have changed um, the policy with Miss Universe, there are women like Jenna Talakova as well back in 2010, 2010. who also took mm-hmm. um, the Miss Universe um, body to task as well mm-hmm. around her disqualification or um, proposed disqualification at the time which she fought, which is part and parcel of how then essentially the rules changed, changed. into 2012. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a line that is showing us clear trans visibility, one, and then two, it is telling of the fact that trans women in all their beauty are here to stay. And as such, I think even the question you were asking the viewers about um, whether this should just be the norm, I think it's about, it's really been the norm since day one. We've had our own running ins in South Africa where some women have also transgender, openly transgender women have been disqualified out of, out of the Miss South Africa com- um, yes. competition in itself. And these are all telling about how there are various women who we've been ignoring and discarding and treating as if they are not women in their in the beauty. And here we are sitting with Angela having been there and looking at Jenna Falakova as well.
Now, looking at a competition like this, um, do you think, you know, visibility is important? And, and a lot of times when we look at uh, like the, the, you know, Black is Beautiful campaigns where there, a, a lot of be- uh, magazines were taken to task, fashion industry was taken to task for the fact that you didn't see a lot of black women being represented as a face of beauty. So do you think that it is important for visibility in contests like this and in industries like fashion to, to be saying, OK, we are openly inclusive? And do you think that enough is being done for change in those industries to be made? No, absolutely. I think that you are on top of the point in that visibility cannot just be, or inclusion and diversity in itself cannot be attained by just trans persons visualizing themselves. There's mm-hmm. also the owners that various persons in various sectors and industry have, insofar as also continuously ensuring that then we celebrate and portray and demonstrate the diversity that our actual society that we live in today is. In film, we need to be seeing more trans persons featured. Definitely. We need to be seeing more persons who are trans, openly trans, and not cisgender or heterosexual persons acting um, transgender roles, but seeing trans persons also on TV, seeing trans persons on fashion magazines, seeing them on the catwalk. We need to be seeing more done by other persons who hold the power to be able to influence social acceptance and inclusion of transgender persons wherever possible. Now, on that question, you know, it's kind of sort of like the, the, the whole feminism question where everybody's like, oh, everything is about women now and everything is about feminism. Um, what do you say to somebody who, who says, you know, we've had enough. Stop uh, spouting all the rights and everything about everybody. Um, you know, let's just say, if, like people who say they're colorblind, let's stop saying that, you know, I'm white and I'm black. Let's just all be happy and hold hands. What do you say some, to somebody like that who doesn't understand that you know, in some in some instances, and even if we look at our own country where our constitution is so inclusive, but on the ground, people's mindsets don't seem to have changed. So mm-hmm. what when it comes to people who are saying, let's just, you know, kind of overlook everybody's differences and hold hands and stop being, you know, putting labels on people in order for them to be said, uh, you are trans, you are, because like you're saying, when it comes to visibility, let's say you have a model on a cover. In the article, do we need to say that this is a first trans model on the cover of L? You know, that's what I'm coming. What I, the question I, I, I'm trying to boil down to: mm-hmm. Should we still be labeling people if we're saying that everybody needs to be included? Okay, um, that's a very nuanced question. Yeah. That in that, in the ideal sense of life, I think I speak for so many trans persons, myself being trans, trans open as well, that we would want to live in a world where nobody's existence has to be justified by them labeling themselves or defining themselves or bottling themselves or Mm -hmm. boxing themselves into anything, that people should just be taken to be human beings as they present, and that's it. But the truth of of the matter is that we live in a world that continuously is portraying and selling an, a very monolithic or even binary picture of, of humanity and mm-hmm. of human beings, where we often are seeing portrayals of men and women, boys and girls, males and females. Many of transgender persons continuously just go invisibilized in particular conversations and even how society functions on a day-to-day basis. Such it becomes important for somebody to stand up and say, hey, I'm also here, I'm transgender, and we need to be counted, and we also need to be taken care of, and we need to also be protected from violence. We need to be protected from our rights being violated. Yeah. All of that becomes a necessity where in a world where 
transgender persons and any other person who is othered in whatever way is invisibilized and as such their lives, their well-being, their human rights are totally, totally not accounted for. So it becomes very important in many instances where we have not reached that utopia I was speaking about for a lot of people to visualize themselves, for women who are living with HIV to say, I'm living positively and I'm a woman, for yeah. women who are in spaces and in occupation that is male-dominated, to say, I'm here and I also need to be accounted for. So it becomes important for visibility to be taken as a political tool that is meant to attain social justice and be seen as something that ensures that then we firstly celebrate diversity before we can hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And that's very true because, you know, almost, and I like the word that you use, utopia, because that is our wishful state. It's it's what we'd like to work towards, but unfortunately that's not the world that we live in at the moment, um, where you, we are still seeing a, a lot of people as other, um, and, and we need to become more inclusive. But let's listen to what um, our, our listeners have to say. We've got a voice note on the topic. Mm-hmm. This is Ken Kenzo from Westenburg, Bulugwani. I don't think yeah, there's a problem with transgender uh, people to enter whatever competition that females are in. Um, I believe uh, that is what they chose. They chose to be women. So we should treat them as women. They should go to women trailers. They should do whatever that the women are doing. So I believe there is no problem with her entering such a competition. Thank you, Wala. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Sure. Thank you very much, Kenny. Uh, Kenny makes a very, very good point because we're talking about the, the, the fact that, you know, um, still in everyday life, there are still so many barriers when it comes to inclusivity. One of them being restrooms. Toilets are, are one of, you know, one of those issues that seem to be popping up every every now and again. Um, and, and, and he makes a very good point when it comes to living on, the, on, on an everyday basis. What are some of the, the issues you find are most common when it comes to individuals who face issues um, from the communities that they find themselves in? Um, it's a wide array of issues, um, Lizette, and thank you to the listener who actually sent that voice note. I think that is absolutely telling, like I was saying earlier, mm-hmm. of where we are moving as a society, not to say that we do not face a whole lot of challenges in accessing social services and attaining full spectrum of human rights. Um, toilets are, made, are, made, are a major issue in various public spaces, one, and even in various institutions and governmental offices, offices. themselves, mm-hmm. where they become inaccessible to transgender persons primarily because of how they are perceived or how society perceives gender in that certain individuals when presenting in a way that might just be androgynous or gender ambiguous in any way, that often elicits a very negative kind of um, response from various members of society. That being said, we continuously are trying to lobby government, various governments, to try and bring about gender-neutral toilets. We worked so hard to ensure that we had toilets that were accessible to persons living with different Disability. body abilities. Yeah. And those are not necessarily meant for transgender persons, although in various instances transgender persons find them much more easier um, to use than all the other segregated toilets. Mm-hmm. But the ideal should be that we should be having gender-neutral restrooms same way that we do in our homes where we don't have toilets for mummies and toilets for babies, yeah. boys or girls in the house. It's the same exact mentality that we need to actually socially transform into. More than that, we continuously are seeing how in South Africa, for instance, and in various instances, 
and context on the continent where transgender persons and LGBTI persons generally are hunted by members of society mm-hmm. because of a lack of protection and in some cases from government and in some cases state-sanctioned attacks on, on members of the LGBTI community in places like your South Sudan, places like Tanzania, places like Nigeria, where LGBTI persons are hunted on a daily as if they are animal, wild animals living in the forest. And these are instances where we're talking about how it's not just that transgender persons are looking to be the Jenna Talakovas and to be the Angela Ponces, but that many other transgender persons would like to just attain quality education, just to be able to get through the, in the door of a teacher institution, which in many contexts on our continent is still very, very inaccessible, Lizard, because of how our schooling system and education policy is structured, which is very binary, which is very blind to the existence oh, yeah. of LGBTI persons or pupils and students. And in fact, finding that transgender persons and LGBTI persons are at the mercy of bullying and harassment and intimidation from teachers and students, thereby making it very difficult for them to be able to access all other levels of, of education, thereby making them more vulnerable to unemployment and underemployment in places as well where employment is not necessarily provided as a very gender um Sensitive, sensitive environment for a transgender person, for instance, it at times forces individuals to either drop out of school or to leave the employee that they might have. So there's quite a plethora of issues and challenges that really compound the transgender community. And, and it basically comes to down to, to basic human rights and the respect of, of, of the basic human rights of, indiv- of every individual. You know, you talk about education system and, and, and you make a very good point when you say that in, in a lot of um, countries in, in Africa, um, on the continent, and even if you look in, in various communities here in South Africa, where you, a lot of these students um, are at, at the mercy, not just at, of bullies at school, but also a lot of times, uh, you know, not understanding um, and, and and discrimination from from teachers and the school system itself. Um, when it comes to, to institu- institutions like those and, and instances like those, what is the recourse for individuals? What steps should they be taking? Okay. So in, in, our, in our country, in South Africa, we are lucky to also have your equality court. court. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an absolutely incredible constitutional court as well. So legally, those are legal remedy that exist that one can be able to seek. But here is the challenge is that when you're talking about a transgender pupil, for instance, who is bullied at school by a teacher who also continuously calls them by derogatory names or does not respect their chosen name or does not respect their very preferred pronoun. Many a times this is a student who most likely will be so rendered helpless by the system such that they will not be able to get out of the school system in order to be able to go and seek the kind of remedy, remedy. that is necessary. Mm-hmm. And in this case, that's where we then are working as various members of civil society in the country to continue to work directly with the Department of Basic Education and of Tertiary Education in continuously pushing for policy reform at that very highest level, which ensures that then bullying regulations and and reform is understood in its full entirety, where it also 
protects LGBTI persons, where it also provides for remedy for students who are gender variant to be able to report um, incidences of bullying, intimidation, or harassment to their body masters, to report them to their own principals in their own institution. And until we get to that point, it becomes very difficult because it's a precarious position yeah. where many LGBTI persons and even transgender persons also come from backgrounds where we understand the doubt and the majority of our population being from black and some mostly coming from rural or um, economically disenfranchised um, backgrounds. backgrounds. You will find that there isn't even that kind of remedy and support back at home. So the, the approach here is multi-pronged in that we also need to be speaking directly to families. We need to be changing the way in which we encounter boys and girls, how we teach society to understand that there are children who are even born intersex, whom are not, we cannot categorically put as male or female, yeah. but having to understand that there is no detriment in them being raised as the sex that they have, they are, which is a conflation of male and, and female sex, um, sex characteristics. For that, we need a holistic approach to social transformation, which would ensure that then students who are in schools can either talk to a teacher, they can be able to talk to a counsellor, they can be able to talk to their own prefects, that they can be able to talk to a parent at home, that they can talk to a priest at, 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 um, at Sunday school or at church, and that they can have an, an array of options and avenues through which they could be able to speak out and be able to ask for themselves to also be protected and to be treated equally as every other person. So the strategy is something that is ongoing, obviously. I work for an organization called Accountability International, mm-hmm. which is an, 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 an international NGO that really works at, at a global level, but also on the African continent working primarily at a continental level, to push for accountability on the rights of all marginalized communities, ranging from women and children, youth, LGBTI persons, persons in prisons, persons who inject and use drugs, women wishing to access safe um, abortions. These are some of the issues that um, organizations like the one that I work for is continuously working to hold our leaders accountable for such resolutions that they take on and are signatory to at a continental and global level. We have a resolution 275 at the African Union level at this point in time, which is one that is meant to protect um, persons who are LGBTI from violence and a state responsibility to actually remedy the situation. Many of our countries are signatory and aware of this resolution 275, but are not a lot, anything at all to be able to report, you know, implement it at country level. And that is where civil society comes in, Lizette, to push for accountability, to push for implementation of beautiful policy and at, at continental and global level that our state leaders are actually signatory to, but not domesticating these or implementing them at a fast pace where they're able to remedy the situation on the ground where LGBTI persons and transgender persons continuously are degraded to secondary it's non-citizens. Non-citizens, And that's really where it comes down to, you know, because you can, you can put your name and the country's name on, on a piece of paper on a daily basis, but implementation is the ultimate test of whether there's actually will to do what you've put your name down on the paper for. We are in conversation with Ricky Hossi Tao. Um, she, as she has said, is currently the Executive Director of Accountability International. That's also made her the first black young African trans person to head up the international NGO. And we're chatting about uh, trans individuals uh, and being included into not just mainstream beauty pageants, but just the inclusivity when we look at um, 
um, programs in uh, public spaces as well as resources. Uh, what is your view? Give us a call. 0891-104-207. 0891-104-207 is our number in studio. You can also SMS us 40938. 40938. SMSs are charged at 1.50. Do keep those tweets also coming in at SFM Radio. I'm at Lizzie underscore Khan. Ricky, I want to ask you a question about, yeah. you know, were you saying that this is this is really a multifaceted um, a problem that needs to be addressed on so many different levels, which means that different you know, different organizations from government actually need to work together. But one of the, the places that I think a lot of change can be made is in the education system itself. Do you think that there is enough being taught in the curriculum um, when it comes to inclusivity, when it comes to to to, to women, children, um, transgender individuals, um, when it comes to their rights as well as how they, they should really are no different from anybody else? Thanks for that, Lizette. I mean, I'm one person who's very passionate around um, education transformation in its full extent and not with limitations. Mm-hmm. And that, by that I mean a whole, an overhaul of educational curricula in itself that trains quite a lot of persons that go out into society to render various services. You have persons who are in home affairs who have to go through an institution of learning. You have persons who are nurses and doctors. They go through an, a curriculum that prepares them to be able to render various health services. Yeah. But you will find that many of those particular individuals in my line of work having encountered quite a lot of um, discriminatory issues arising from service provision have come across a lot of data that has shown that Service providers are not inherently disliking or phobic of LGBTI persons such that they discriminate out of a dislike or a hatred. Many an instance is an issue of never having been exposed Exposed. to sexual diversity Mm. and gender diversity in the curriculum that prepares them to come and render these particular services. For instance, you at this point in time will understand that gender affirming health care as per the standards of care developed by the WPATH. The WPATH is a big um, body of professionals, health and medical professionals who render um, health care to transgender persons. And the SOC 7 is the standard of care, version 7, that in it will direct you to the fact that a general practitioner in primary um, health facility could be able to administer hormonal therapy and monitor the transition of a transgender individual. Okay. But the question comes, why is it that we have treated this kind of care, gender family health care, as something that is very elitist that is for certain particular practitioners living in certain areas, having gone through certain institutions, when in actual fact it is a part and parcel of available resource that yep. Those that are going through institutions of health sciences and medical um, schools can be able to access this kind of training such that it prepares them to go out into, into society, society aware of the existence of the diversity of bodies and the way in which they express and the kind of medical needs, needs. that those particular bodies have such that it does not become a shock when a walks through doctors um, practice and that doctor then turning that particular particular um, patient into a spectacle which makes it very very difficult for such a person to return for care yeah. taking the example of a transgender person who has been discriminated before 
sitting at home and not wanting to go through that experience again, but finding that they have genital warts on them, which need to be treated. This Mm. is an STI that this particular individual just sits with out of fear of how the system is so discriminatory towards them. And when we are not then, I think, diversifying the manner in which we train various service providers to go out into the world to render inclusive services, we ultimately are rendering transgender and the greater LGBTI persons vulnerable to such instances of self-medication, to such instances of having to seek health care at a very, very late stage on particular medical or health issues, such that then the recourse often at times becomes impossible. impossible. How that we can, how that relates back to, for instances, and issues around HIV in a continent like our own, which is really ravaged by high incidence rates and um, rates of, of that covers a whole array of our population. How, when we do not ensure that our services attract an LGBTI or transgender person to return, we ultimately are not being are not able to meet our our 1990 goals, goals. for instance, global level mm-hmm. to be able to ensure that then most about 90% of all population is tested. About 90% of those that test positive, 90 of those need to be on um, ART and ensuring that there is care to the greater population. How we are failing at those very targets that we set for ourselves, both at global, continental and international level, when we do not ensure that then services are very inclusive. And that stems from the kind of training, both in institutions of learning and even continuous in-service training that I think our government ought to take on as a responsibility, where different um, departments of our government, ministries themselves, need to be going through and investing in ongoing training for their own service providers. An example is about home affairs in itself, where transgender persons in South Africa are supposed to be able to access um, main change, sex market change. Mm -hmm. And many of us still going through discriminatory services where we are denied access to these um, provisions that exist at a, at a legislative level because of discriminatory and individuals who are supposed to render the services not knowledgeable about how to interpret the statute, let alone understanding what are transgender individuals. So much to do. So much to do still, Ricky. Thank you and so much. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, that is uh, Ricky Khosi Tsao, um, international trans activist. Uh, she is the executive director of Accountability International, chatting to us about trans individuals and uh, transgender individuals and some of the challenges that are still faced uh, and the challenges are, are, are huge when it comes to accessibility um, and just being able to enjoy life like everybody else when it comes to our basic human rights.